going to ordain and install men for the office of elder and of deacon. And we're going to recognize corporately that the Lord has distinguished them and set them apart. How are we to view and treat such men? The scriptures don't leave us in the dark. I hope you'll look back at Romans 13, the passage that Mr. Rios just read in your hearing a moment ago, and then be prepared to examine other texts as well. We're going to be talking about something that never gets talked about in our culture. In fact, our culture runs away from this, and that is how to honor someone. Our culture is really, really good at dishonor but doesn't know how to honor someone, doesn't know whom to honor. And so let's begin by looking at Romans 13. Paul is summing up the duties of Christians to those who are over them. And again, our culture would even say over them. What what does that mean? We're going to see in Scripture that Scripture sets some men over others. But in Romans 13, Paul is summing up the duties of Christians to those who are over them and have been placed over them sovereignly by God. So look very carefully at the beginning in verse 1 in Romans 13. Paul begins by commanding subjection to governing authorities. And then in verse 2, Paul rebukes those who are unwilling to submit to lawful authority. In verse 3, Paul commands good works by Christians instead of subversion. In verse 4, Paul states the duty of the ruler to reward good and punish evil. In verse 5, Paul demands subjection to rulers for internal reasons, having a clear conscience, and external reasons, rulers have the power of compulsion. And then finally, in verse 7, in the context of relating to those who are over us, Paul speaks of, you will notice, that we are to render to all their due. This means, if you look at verse 6, if you owe taxes to the civil magistrate, you should pay them. In verse 7, when Paul says, render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs. Customs were a form of tax. Indeed, it's the same word used by Jesus to describe the tax that Jesus told Peter to pay for both of them in Matthew 17. The great theologian Robert Haldane said, a tax is a debt In a true sense of the word, men sometimes act on the principle that taxes are not debts and they may evade their payment, although clearly liable by law. Such persons stand condemned by the apostle. Now, it is here explicitly taught that taxes stand by the law of God on the same footing as private debts, which every man is under an equal obligation to discharge. And so Paul sets forth a a theology, a miniature theology in verses 1 through 7 of how we are to relate largely to civil rulers, but really to anyone who God has placed over us. There's that phrase that I keep using, that God has placed over us. And so Paul is saying, if you should respectfully fear someone, look at the end of verse 7. He says, if you should respectfully fear someone, do so. Paul has in mind, no doubt, rulers here. But the focus of our exposition tonight is that little clause tucked away at the end of Romans 13, 7. Honor to whom honor is due, which is to be rendered to people as their due. Certain people, it is owed them. And so I would ask, even before we pray, asking for the Spirit's illuminating help, do you know who to honor? Do you know how to honor them? Do you know what kind of honor is due? My suspicion is most of us don't know the answer to any of those questions. 
And so let me encourage you to have your Bible open, not only to Romans 13, but we will be looking at this principle all throughout Scripture. Let's ask for the Lord's help now. Blessed Lord, you who have caused all the Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us now to so hear them, read them, learn them, inwardly digest them, that we may embrace the Word and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Start by looking at the commandment in verse 7. The commandment is simple, simple imperative. To give men their due honor. To honor means, and now begin to start unrolling this thread for you. To honor means to revere someone, to prize them, to place a high value on them. And what Paul is saying is, if you have the attitude of, I don't salute anyone, no one is above me, you have greatly, profoundly misunderstood the Bible's values. There are those, according to the apostles' thinking, that we must, it's a mandate, it's an imperative, that we must show honor to. In Romans 13, 7, if you're thinking, of course, there are all these people who think, uh, context, this must be a disputed text. Uh, uh, Isn't Romans in the Old Testament, wasn't this done away with by dispensationalism? No, no, and no. So Romans 13, 7 is not a standalone text. Listen to how off Paul and the other New Testament writers say the exact same thing. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul writes the church, the church in Thessalonica. We urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor over you, who are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Esteem them highly. And then in 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And then again, in, in 1 Timothy 5.18, Paul is saying, listen, these men are to be so honored, the elders are, that you should not even receive an accusation against them except if you have two or three witnesses. And then the writer of Hebrews really racks, ratchets the bar up in Hebrews 13 when he says, remember those, don't forget those who have the rule over you. And in Hebrews 13, 18, he says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. They watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Now, we know the fundamental principle in the Christian life in Philippians 2 that we are to esteem all others better than ourselves. But there are some who we are to honor even more so. How does this play out in practice? Let me tell you who you should honor and in what proportion. There are six, at least six, there are actually more, but there are six main people you are to honor. And so in just a moment, when I begin to tell you how to do that, you should apply that to these six groupings of people. And so when I speak about the honor that is due elders and deacons tonight, I'm not just speaking about them. Scripture uh, speaks in, in an expansive way about who we are to give honor to. Now remember, it's beyond question that we are to honor them. And so let's ask who and how. The first grouping of people we are to honor is the gray-headed and the aged. According to Leviticus 19, we are to rise before the gray-head and honor the presence of an old man. One of the things that's been so refreshing for me having Reuben Shinene, our seminary student from Nigeria here for the last year, Reuben has pounded into my head. I might be starting to get it now. But Reuben has pounded into my head 
of just how dishonoring our culture is to the elderly and how he would not think of making this kind of decision or stating things in this sort of way if it would dishonor his father or the elders of the village in the tribe. And for, for arrogant Americans, let me tell you, there are so many ways that the African church and the Asian church leave us in the dust. And this is one specific way. Asian cultures and African cultures are deeply biblical in this fact, in the way they treat grandfathers and grandmothers and seniors. Our culture tucks away seniors in nursing homes and forgets them. The other day, Sandy and I were were visiting in a nursing home, and, and over and over again, the people who were working there said, nobody's been to see her, nobody's been to see him, nobody's been to see her. They're wasting away. Well, that is exactly opposite of what Scripture teaches. This is who we are to rise up before, give honor to, is the gray head. A second person or class of persons that we are to honor. All children are to honor their parents. This is the fifth commandment. It's given in Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. And then again, it's stated, restated for anybody who'd forgotten it in the New Testament in Ephesians 6. It even has the, the promise of blessing attached to it of a long life. For the last 60 years, there's been a not so subtle attack on this commandment and biblical understandings of parent child relationships. Historically, this commandment to honor father and mother has been understood to incorporate three elements. In fact, I'm stealing these from John Calvin. The first is honoring parents means to regard parents with reverence, to seek their wisdom, especially on such matters as vocation and spouse. Secondly, to repay all that you owe them. Third, to obey their commands. In fact, so So profound was this command to honor parents that to dishonor parents in the Old Testament, both in Exodus 21 and Deuteronomy 27, was a death penalty offense. The third group of people the believer is to honor. Believers are, and this deals with our hero worship of the day. If you could somehow be transported back to 1975-76 and you could have gone in my very messy bedroom you would have seen who I honored because they're in the coolest blacklight poster you ever saw, which means if you're under about the age of 50, that means it glowed in the dark. And so I could look at my heroes even in the dark, and there on one wall was Jimi Hendrix playing the guitar. And over here on this wall was Willie Mays. Those were the people who I honored. I honored them so much, I bought their poster and I had it in my room. And our culture has a a twisted form of hero worship. Those people who we really think highly of. We don't like it if they're spoken of poorly. We'll, We'll buy tickets to see them and we'll get their autograph and we'll get their poster. But as believers, a third grouping of people we are to honor is not sports stars. It's not rock stars. It's not movie stars. It's those who fear the Lord. Look at Psalm 15 and notice what the clear commandment of Scripture is in terms of who we are to honor. Psalm 15. David is grappling with who will dwell in God's presence. 
And he says in Psalm 15, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle, who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks uprightly, works righteousness, spreads the truth, that speaks the truth in his heart. He who doesn't backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. Now notice carefully Psalm 15:4, In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. And so notice, the, this, is, this is telling us this for our pattern, for our Christian walk. The righteous man despises the vile and he honors those, he esteems them highly who fear the Lord. In other words, the godly man honors the person that has a biblical worldview and values and practices. He respects the worshiper. Shocking, isn't it? A fourth class of person that we are to honor. All believers are to honor the civil magistrates over them. We just read this in Romans 13, but Peter chimes in and agrees in 1 Peter 2.17. He issues this imperative to honor the king. Now, by the way, this command was written at a time when the government was actively persecuting the church. And what both Paul in Romans 13 and Peter in 1 Peter 2 are stating is our honor is not tied to our feelings about someone. The Christian citizen is to be radically different than the unbelieving citizen. The Christian citizen is not a rebel or a critic. He honors the president, the governor, the congressman, the judge. A fifth class of people you and I are to honor. Look at 1 Peter 3. I've been preparing. I'll begin preaching a lengthy series through First and Second Peter beginning on the first Sunday in January, God willing. And <clears throat> have been giving a lot of time studying this very passage. In 1 Peter 3, 7, where the apostle is giving husbands and wives marital commands about one another, what their roles and relationships are. It's very interesting in 1 Peter 3, 7, the apostle tells husbands to give honor to their wife. And so this is a fifth category of persons, and this applies obviously to married men. And hopefully, husbands, this includes doing silly, simple things like opening doors. And it includes more important things like the way you speak, and then a hundred other ways of showing honor. Proverbs is of great help here. For example, in Proverbs 31... The writer of Proverbs says, one way of honoring your wife is to teach your children to rise up and call your wife blessed. But the husband is specifically, in Proverbs 31, given a script for honoring his wife. So if you're that ghost, I'm not really good with words. Fine. Just read Proverbs 31. And here's what you're to say. Proverbs 31 says, here is how you verbally honor her. Read the script, guys. Many daughters have done well, but you excelled them all. Maybe you'll sound a little better than that. Husbands, every wife, no matter how long you've been married to her, needs to hear this. That's why in Scripture, we are told it will bring encouragement and joy to her. A sixth class of people we are to honor. And the New Testament reserves a special high dignity for this class of men. The elders who rule well. They are to be accorded double honor. Whatever it is you're given to your wife, the magistrate, the elderly, twice as much, Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.17. Why does this realm of people receive such high honor? Well, think about this. The family 
will cease to exist in eternity. Remember what Jesus said in Mark 12, that in the eternal state there will be no marrying or family structure. The civil state will no longer be intact. Christ will be ruling as king. But the church will exist forever. And so its officers are those who we should give the highest honor to. So we know who to honor, but how do we do that? I'm going to tell you to look at a fascinating passage. Reach in front of you and grab your hymnal. And I want you to turn to page 956 in your Trinity Psalter hymnal. And what you have, if you don't know back there, is you have our Confession of Faith and Catechisms. And on page 956 in your Trinity Psalter hymnal, you have a lot of help there. Because we find question and answer 127. In our public theology, this is our creed. This is the the confession that every one of the men who will stand before you in just a few minutes, every elder, every deacon, has read every word of this. And they have said, this is my doctrine. This is my theology, the theology of the confession and catechisms. This is our public creed. And notice in question 127, the question is asked, 380 years ago, what is the honor that inferiors owe to their superiors? Now, first of all, let me tell you right now, people from our culture just ran out the back door screaming because of that word that's there inferiors. And you'll notice that our creed goes on and and states, it defines in several of the questions around there, I think it's 126 to 132, defines inferiors and superiors and equals. But notice what we are told, the seven things, the seven things that honor consists of. Our catechism states in question 127 that inferiors owe honor. It's a debt that must be paid. It's owed. Honor is not invisible. Honor stands up. Honor says, yes, sir. Honor defers to superiors. And so look at the seven ways that our larger catechism says we are to honor our elders or any superior. First, do reverence in heart, word, and behavior. In other words, honor shows up in specific words, behaviors, and attitudes. We faintly remember how to do this barely with parents when Sandy and I moved to Las Vegas. And and our daughter Sarah even still had a South Carolina accent at that point. And when we moved there, the first Sunday after Sunday school, one of my children's Sunday school teacher came to me and said, Carl, can you tell your kids to knock it off with the yes, sir, and no, ma'am? And I said, excuse me? And he said, yeah, that's just weird. And I said, do you know how hard we've labored to teach them to do that? He says, Carl, get with it. Nobody in Nevada says that. I said, well, I guess three children in Nevada will be doing that. Well, we, we faintly know how to do that, to show due reverence in heart, word, and behavior. Notice what our confession goes on to say, larger catechism. Secondly, prayer and thanksgiving for them. Honor means Thanking God that he has set these elders, these deacons over you. It means interceding for them regularly. How often do you pray for your deacons? How often do you pray for your elders? For wisdom, for the difficult decisions they have to make, for unity. A third way that you are to honor your superiors. Next line in the larger catechism. By the imitation of their virtues and graces. 
In other words, following them as they follow Christ. This is simply what Paul commanded in 1 Corinthians 11. The next aspect, willing obedience to their lawful commands and counsels. You're not to obey them when they command you to do something unlawful, but I have never in 22 years known our elders or our deacons to ask anyone here to do anything unlawful. Otherwise, unless it's an unlawful command, otherwise you should willfully, joyfully, speedily submit to them and their counsels. Think of some examples in Scripture where the people of God thought, I'm not going to obey my leaders. Number 16 comes to mind. Under Korah, rebellion broke out among the congregation. Men led by Korah didn't want to obey their elders, Moses and Aaron. So the Lord opened the ground and consumed the rebels. Grumbling against God's men and disobeying them never, ever has the blessing of God. If someone comes to you to complain about the elders, say, please stand over there because when the the ground opens up to swallow you, I don't want to get pulled in with you. A fifth, notice again our larger catechism. I love the expansiveness of this answer. What is the honor that inferiors owe to their superiors? Fifth, do submission to their corrections. Who does that elder think he is coming to me and telling me that? Why, he was speaking to me about the way I talk to my wife or, or whatever. When the elder or deacon comes to rebuke, instead of arguing or pouting or resenting, You should humbly acknowledge the wrong, repent, and move forward, and thank them for loving you enough to come and point this out for your holiness. A sixth statement our larger catechism makes. What is that honor that inferiors owe their superiors? Fidelity to, defense of, and maintenance of their persons and authority. Fidelity to and defense of are specific actions. This means faithfulness to and taking up for not allowing others to gossip about or slander these men. And then seventh, I would ask you specifically for my sake that you would bear with me in in my infirmities and cover them in love. This means being patient and long-suffering with your elders and deacons. Now, here's the problem after what I just said. I told you who Scripture says to honor and how to do that. Here comes the problem. We live in a culture that has two massive problems. One is... They don't understand superiors and inferiors. Look at that larger catechism. I hope your hymnal is still open there. Look at larger catechism 126 through 132. And our confession says, I I wish you had the copy that had all the scripture proofs. It, It lists how scripture says these people are over you. These people are under you. These people are your equals. Our culture is egalitarian. It knows nothing of inferiors and superiors. Therefore, No one in our culture knows their place. Our culture has lost the basic Christian distinction that all people are equal in value in person, but distinctly unequal in gifts and offices. This is rooted in the very doctrine of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are absolutely equal in person, power, and glory, but they're graded and hierarchical in function. This is why Jesus says in John 6, I've come down out of heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Or in John 8, when Jesus says, I do nothing of myself, I always and only do those things that please him. Now this issue of not understanding who are the inferiors and superiors, this has oozed into every realm of our society, civil, ecclesiastical, domestic. And so if you watch a late night talk show host, they make it part of their regular nightly routine to mock 
the highest civil magistrates. And if you were at my house and I was up late that night, you would hear me talking to the screen saying, you're an inferior. Who are you to taunt your superior? Or you have far worse, children have learned to speak disrespectfully to their parents. And along with this, congregants have learned to be disrespectful to their elders instead of granting them double honor. Thankfully, there are a couple of places a couple of institutions that still understand this principle of superiors and inferiors, but my fear is, blink twice and in 20 years they won't exist anymore. The first is the courts. Several years ago I was in a court in the upstate, was there watching the proceedings and the judge was speaking to the two attorneys and one of the attorneys said, oh Elijah, come on. And the judge banged his gavel and said, is his cousin, who was the attorney, said, you will address me as your honor or I will find you in contempt of court. I said, yes, the fifth commandment strikes again. This is glorious in terms of showing honor to superiors. When you're in the courtroom, there is one superior and you ain't it. It's the judge. There's a, a second institution that still understands superiors and inferior, and this is the military where in some cases I am told that inferiors still have to salute their superior. In his brilliant essay entitled Egalitarian as a Revolt Against Nature, Murray Rothbard says this, the only place that seems to understand the decay of our society is in horror fiction, where the logical implications of an egalitarian world have been fully drawn. And then he cites two contemporary pieces of literature. One is a a novel in which envy is institutionalized by the state, making sure that every girl's face is equally pretty, with medical operations being performed on both lovely and ugly girls to bring everyone's face up so that they are exactly equal. And then in another piece of contemporary literature, a short story provides this description of an egalitarian society. The year was 2091. Everyone was finally equal. They weren't only equal before God and the law. They were equal in every which way. Nobody was smarter than anybody else. Nobody was better looking than anybody else. Nobody was stronger or quicker than anybody else. All this equality was due to the 213th Amendment to the Constitution and to the unceasing vigilance of agents of the U.S. Handicapper General. The story goes on. This handicapped capping worked as follows. Hazel had a perfectly average intelligence which meant she couldn't think about anything except in short bursts. And George, his intelligence was way above normal, so he had a little mental handicap radio in his ear, and he was required by law to wear it at all times. It was tuned to a government transmitter. Every 20 seconds, the transmitter would send out a sharp noise to keep people like George from taking unfair advantage of their brains. The horror we instinctively feel at such stories is the intuitive recognition that Men are not uniform. The species, mankind, is uniquely characterized by a high degree of variety, diversity, differentiation, in short, inequality. If I were to push you and say, can he, is he your superior on the baseball diamond? Can he hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball? Yes. Can you? No. So you would say, you would admit, right, that he's your superior, at least in that. Yeah, I guess so. 
So the first issue that we've seen, <clears throat> the problem is we live in a culture that doesn't understand superiors and inferiors. But secondly, we live in a culture that doesn't honor the right people. Instead of honoring the people it should, our culture honors women that are immoral and men that are, that are fools. When scripture tells us in Proverbs 26.1 that honor is not fitting for a fool, but our culture delights to honor fools. How do we apply this word as we move towards the ordination of new elders and deacons and the installation of others? First of all, knowing that scripture clearly spells out whom to honor, let me ask, do you put into practice these mandates? Whom do you honor? When was the last time you showed honor to an older saint in this congregation? Husbands, when was the last time you honored your wife? When was, you honor, when was the last time you honored a simple believer who fears the Lord? We were just told a moment ago, this is who the believer in, in Psalm 15 delights to honor. And especially, when was the last time you honored your elders, your deacons? Let me encourage you by way of application to formally repent tonight. I fear so often when we make application that it sails over and people say, interesting, good to know. But let me tell you specifically what I'm encouraging you to do in light of this word. To repent of dishonoring those you've been commanded to honor. Children, you may need to, when you get in the car to go home tonight, say to mom and dad, I've not treated you with the honor that goes with the office of parent. Please forgive me. By God's grace and his help, I'm going to strive to show you, speak to you, the honor that God commands. Husbands, you may need to go to your wife and confess your dishonor, your, your laziness, your lack of honor for her. But especially members of Woodruff Road, tonight after this service, you may need to seek out specific elders and say, I've not honored you. I've spoken of you in ways that were dishonoring. I've not defended your name when others were slandering it. I've not sought your counsel. I've not listened to you when you've given good counsel. I've not heeded your corrections. We as believers are always to be antithetical to the world, but on this issue, the antithesis must be drawn sharply. You can learn nothing, nothing about honor from the world. And so let me plead with you, as God's believing church, to honor godliness and godly men and show it in our words and actions. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your creation order that you've established, that you have, you have set up your world and all our relationships so that we know whom to honor. We ask that we would especially be found frequently honoring our elders and deacons along with our parents and the elderly and the godly, those who fear the Lord, and our civil magistrates. We pray that even tonight this service of installation and ordination would do just that, that it would be an honor to these men who have been chosen, who have been examined, and now will be ordained. And so, Lord, we pray that 